0: All right, so usually I say just follow along with me as I read, but this passage is so short that I think we can probably all read this together. Uh, so it's going to be Proverbs nineteen twenty three and just the first line, okay? Here we go. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Let's read it again. The fear of the Lord leads to life. One more time. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you so much for Proverbs. We thank you for all that this book has taught us over the last few weeks, especially for those of us who have been reading it daily, Lord. There's just so much there that is so good. And so we praise you for that. We praise you for providing your word that is timeless, that applies to us across generations, across ethnicities, across uh, genres. Lord, it's just such a blessing to have your word. So we thank you for it. We pray that your spirit would speak directly to each of us individually wherever we're at this morning that your spirit would impress upon us and convince us of this truth, that the fear of the Lord leads to life. Lord, help us not just to believe that with our heads, but to believe it in our hearts, to believe it with our lives, to embody it on the daily, that the fear of the Lord leads to life. So we give you these next few minutes of sitting under your word this morning together. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So the first week in Proverbs, we looked at fearing God as the place to start and end. And then the second week, we looked at fearing God and not going it alone. Not embracing a life of isolation, but embracing a life of community. And then last week, we talked about fearing God and doing what he does, which is righteousness, which is justice. And then this final week, we're looking at how fearing God is the good life, and when, you know whether you acknowledge it daily or not. We all operate under a vision of what we believe the good life should look like. You know that's actually what forms the basis of our American society. You know we have the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And happiness is defined by you, the individual. As long as your happiness, as long as your good life is not hindering the happiness of another, according to the Declaration of Independence, you're on the right track. Right? But according to Proverbs, defining your own happiness is hogwash. It doesn't work. According to Proverbs, any good life you conjure up for yourself does not even compare with the good life that is available to you when you turn toward your Creator. And so, sure, many of the things we might put on that list of what we define as a good life, many of those things that might make your list, like warm, loving relationships, or Marriage and family, or fulfilling work, or material possessions, or or travel, or doing good for others. You know, all of these things that might make your list are, of course, good things. Of course. And they will add to your happiness, and even to a good life. But without God... Proverbs tells us that these things, even these things, become off. They get all helter-skelter, cattywampus. You know, I I like to push my daughters on the swing, and sometimes they'll purposefully, like, jerk their swing so they get, like, all off course. And then I was like, you guys are all cattywampus. And then they got super into the word cattywampus. And so whenever that happens, they just start yelling, cattywampus is wampus, and then they hit each other and fall off, and, and it all goes, you know, downhill from there. But even the good things in our lives can become off if we do not have God. Now, this is the concept that Augustine pioneered. You know, he argued that sin consists of disordered loves, that it's not that we're Loving the wrong things, although we, we will, it's that we love less important things more than we should. And we love more important things less than we should. You might have experienced this in relationships. Say you prioritize your mom over your wife. Oops. Don't be doing that. That's, that's a recipe for disaster. Should you love both your mom and your wife? Of course. But there's a priority needed to establish appropriate boundaries, to establish a well-balanced life, even amidst good things. And so fearing God, what does it lead to? It leads us to prioritize all things as we should. Even the good things, which are in fact gifts from him. And so what we find in Proverbs is this, fearing God is the good life. Now, keep in mind that Proverbs is a work of wisdom literature. It's not the same as the law. It's wisdom. It's, you know, remember who Solomon was. He was a great king who surpassed all people everywhere in the areas of wealth, success, and wisdom. And what he says in Proverbs isn't the same as what's written in the law. You know, the law says do this because God says so. Which technically is a good enough reason. But Proverbs says do this because seriously, guys, I've lived it all, I've experienced it all, and I'm telling you from experience that fearing God is plain better. It's like Solomon says, trust me. You know, in Ecclesiastes, which is tr- traditionally attributed to Solomon, what is his final word of advice at the very end of the book after lamenting the meaninglessness of a even a successful life? He says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And so how does fearing God lead to the good life? We're going to look at three reasons. First, the good God defines the good life. Okay? Second, the good life is now. And third, the good life is not yet. And so the, the good God defines the good life. Listen to Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. It says, The fear of man lays a snare, or a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Our culture loves to tell us what to do, loves to tell us how to live, what to prioritize, what is most important right now. You know, that's the, the heart and soul of marketing. This is what is most important to you right now. Whether it's an algorithm on Instagram or headlines, this is what's most important. Our culture loves to tell us that Constantly. And we fall for it constantly. But the truth is, unless we let God define the good life for us, it will be defined by another human being. Letting our life be dictated by another human being, even yourself, is known as the fear of man. And Proverbs declares that the fear of man lays a snare. Proverbs declares that as unsustainable and dangerous. It's a snare. It's it's hard to escape. Once you're in the clutches of the fear of man, of humanity's plan for your life, it is hard to escape that. And I love the concept of spiritual formation. You know, I love that You know, one of the Holy Spirit's main jobs is to form us into the image of Jesus the Son. But more than formation, I resonate with the concept of counter-formation. Because the truth is that from a young age, all of us have been in a process of formation by our culture. And in America... We are being formed into materialistic, individualistic, greedy people. That's what we're being formed into in our culture. And so in the church, what God wants to do is the process of counter-formation. The Spirit is reversing this process of formation and counterforming us into Christ's image. That's what he's doing. That's what he wants to do in you. And this comes to bear on our view of the good life. You know, we're all trapped in the fear of man and therefore the wrong view of the good life. We need rescue in order to have a proper understanding of God, of ourselves, of others, of our world. And that's where the gospel of Jesus comes in. The gospel of Jesus rescues us from that snare. We're trapped. We need rescue. And Jesus provides that. And then we receive a new vision for what the good life is. You know, at one point in Jesus' ministry, he sent out a large group of his disciples across the uh, Judea, to preach the gospel, to heal people, to cast out demons, the works. You know, he gave them authority two by two to go and represent him. And so they go out for a certain amount of time, I don't know, a couple weeks. They come back. They could not wait to tell Jesus how fun it was to exercise authority over demons. They said, Master, can you believe it? The demons were subject to us in your name. Wow, that was awesome. And you can tell based on their report back what their version of the good life was. Power. And how did Jesus respond to them? Now he said, He said this, don't rejoice, don't take pleasure in your power over demons, but that your names are written in heaven, he said. And so Jesus's version of the good life isn't power. What is it? It's being known by God and safe in his hands. Your name is written in heaven. even having been given power over spiritual beings. Jesus says, no, no, no. Don't take joy in that. Take joy that God knows you. That's where you should get your, your happiness from. And Proverbs attests to this. You know, in Proverbs 28, verses 13 and 14, it says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them Will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. And when Proverbs uses the word blessed, a synonym is happy. It says, Happy is the one who fears the Lord always. And so, according to Proverbs, what brings a person happiness is what? Being able to be open, honest, fully known, and even broken before God, and yet to receive mercy, and yet to receive washing, cleansing, restored relationship with Him. Happy is that person. Jesus had to counterform his disciples to understand and experience real happiness. You know, he could have probably seen the joy on their faces, the the sparkle in their eye. I cast out a demon, Jesus. That was awesome. And he says, no, no, no. Put away that version of happiness. Take on mine. He's forming them. He's teaching them what the good life is. He's defining it for them because he designed it originally. And God wants to do the same for us. I love what Psalm thirty-one, nineteen says. It says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you, God, have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. And so it's as we experience rescue, true rescue from our version of happiness, the good God wants us to grow in trust in him and therefore experience the true good life, the actual good life, the only good life, as defined by him. And so first, the good God defines the good life, but then the good life is now. And we read it at the start, but take another listen to Proverbs 19.23, and this time we'll read the whole verse. The fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Wow. Rest. Satisfaction. Protection. Who doesn't want these things? Making this God, the God of your life, seems to have some serious perks. And it doesn't stop there. Listen to Proverbs 22, verse 4. It says, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is what? Riches and honor and life. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches, honor, and life. The good life starts now. Material provision, it says. Honor, life. And before we start our objections to such a health and wealth understanding of this, let's just acknowledge that right here it says there is abundant goodness attached to embracing a life of faith in God. The good life that we're talking about starts now. You know, my version, you know, Nick's version of the good life typically involves stability in finances, you know, personal or, or family finances, or meaningful work. The core question I ask is, you know, am I going to be okay? Is my family going to be okay? Are we going to be taken care of? You, you might resonate with that core question. Am I going to be okay? And Jesus acknowledges this in Matthew 6. You know, he recognizes that many of us spend a good deal of energy thinking about our material needs. Now, listen to his words in Matthew 6. If you wish, you can turn there. Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. He says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life He says, your Heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But what he does is he reprioritizes them. He says, life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. Focusing our attention on these things over our relationship with God, it's like trying to put together a thousand-piece puzzle when you don't have the final image of what it's supposed to look like. But seek first, Jesus says, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then what? All these things will be added to you. Doesn't Jesus' promise here sound a lot like Proverbs? If you lean in, to your true purpose in life, which is to seek God, his kingdom, his righteousness, that is, to walk in his ways, then provision will come, he says. Provision will come. God created all of you, your spiritual needs, your, your relational needs, your physical needs, and as one of my favorite Christian thinkers and, and speakers, Lori Krieg says, God is the one and only true need meter of your soul. He created you, He created your needs. He's the only one who can meet them. Prioritize Him, and He'll meet your needs. You know, I've found personally that to be true. Have you? Give it a try. And so based on these verses, we can see clearly that the good life is meant to be enjoyed now, today. And based on these verses, we could be tempted to think that material wealth is a sign of God's favor on your life. Until you read a certain segment of Proverbs, we'll call the better than Proverbs. Which leads us to our last point. The good life is not yet. So far, we've seen that the fear of God and, and riches are linked. Isn't that what we just read? Let me turn to it again. Proverbs 22, verse 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is what? Riches. And honor, and life. But Proverbs makes it clear, along with the rest of Scripture, that sometimes pursuing God first will require that we say no to riches. Listen to this sampling of what we'll call the better than Proverbs. Proverbs fifteen sixteen. Better is a little, with the fear of the Lord, than great treasure. And trouble with it. Proverbs 16 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Proverbs 22, verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. And lastly, Proverbs 28 verse 6, "Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways." Sometimes, riches and the fear of God are linked, but not always. As you're walking the road of life, you may encounter a fork in the road, between success as the world defines it, and faithfulness to God. Here's what Proverbs wants to tell you. Take the faithful fork every time. Even if it leads to poverty. Even if it leads to having only a little. Why? Why would that be the better option? The good life is supposed to be now right? Yes, but the good life isn't just now. It's also not yet. You know, listen to Proverbs 23, verses 17-18. It says, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. What gets us through the pain of life? What helps us in the waiting of life? It's not just the reality of the good life now, but the good life later. The future that awaits us. The hope that we have. Listen to Proverbs 24, verses 13, 14. It says, "I love this. My son, eat honey, for it is good. And the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. I love that. Just let's just call like stop there. That's good advice. Eat honey, for it is good. <laughs> Ancient candy. But then he goes on. It says, "No. That wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. And he continues with a counter example. He says in verses 19 and 20, Fret not yourself because of evildoers and be not envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. And so why should we take the faithful fork every time? Because that's the only fork with a future. That's the only direction to go with a hope. And did you catch what Solomon said about the effect of having hope today? It's like honey. Honey. The hope in our certain future that we have today tastes good today. The hope that we have for the good life that is not yet is part of the good life now. We don't need FOMO when we look at those who say YOLO. But isn't that how we live sometimes? You know, we... We're following God, but we're doing it looking side to side and and longing to fill ourselves with what the world says will satisfy. We've got this fear of missing out. We still have those cravings. We still have those appetites. Part of us thinks that that might be a better way to go. What those cravings, those appetites reveal is that the good life is still awaiting us. But they also remind us and help us to see that we are so desperate for God right now. You can take those those wanton and wayward appetites and you can use them as a check engine light that you need God desperately And that's the only way this can work. The good life now, the good life not yet, all of it is contingent on the goodness of God. You know, how do we enjoy the good life now? We look at the goodness of God. How do we wait and have the strength and patience for the good life to come? We look at the goodness of God. It all depends on our view of God. Who do you think God is? Do you do we even believe him? You know, do we agree with his definition of the good life? Do we realize how real and true his love for us really is? You know, do we live as if he is worthy of our ultimate trust? You know, all these things are are Good questions. And as we have been working our way through the Psalms, we'll see the psalmist wrestled with the same questions. Who is God? Is he good? Is he trustworthy? Is he worth putting the full weight of my life on? Is he worth going out on a limb for? Listen again to Psalm 3119. This is how we'll close. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you, God, have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. Do you know God's goodness? Do you know his goodness enough to believe in the good life that he defines, that he designs? Have you experienced the good life in him now? Do you trust that there's a good life to come? Let's pray.